Midtown. This is Radio Kingston, WKNY, AM 1490, FM 1079, Kingston, New York. Makes you such a threat. We choose the right to be who we are. We know the difference between the reality of freedom and the illusion of freedom. There's a way to live with Earth and a way not to live with Earth. We choose the way of Earth. It's about power. Joshua. Greetings and good morning and good afternoon and good evening. Welcome, my relatives. I shake your hands with good feelings in my heart, and it's a good day for all of us to be here. In addition to relativity, this is First Voices Radio, and I send you greetings and strength from the highlands of the Esopus, where the active breath of the Muncie Lenape Nation lives in what is now temporarily called the Catskills Mountains by the settlers Dutch and Americans. Regardless, they are the highlands of the Esopus, and nothing's going to change that. I'm Teokasin Ghost Horse, and this is an all-native hosted all Native Produce First Voices Radio, and from the Red Lake Ojibwe Nation, Liz Hill, producer of First Voices Radio. Our studio engineer, ally guide is the Malcolm Byrne. You can now hear us on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Buzzsprout, Spotify, as well as firstvoicesindigenousradio.org for archive, downloading, and listening. Our theme song is Tahi by Moana and the Moa Hunters. Our first guest, Doug George Conatillo, was born and raised at the Mohawk Territory of Akwesasne, and he attended school on and, on and near the reservation before enrolling at Syracuse University and then the Antioch School of Law. In early April 2022, which I'll repeat a little bit later on, there is a reason why the Six Nations Haudenosaunee, or Iroquois, were not invited to Rome to meet the Pope and secure an apology for the victims of the residential schools. And we don't want an apology, we want justice, unquote, reading from his article that he released. So those of you who may be listening to this, there is another history that is unknown and known to a lot of people about what happened to Native children, First Nations peoples in Canada, but also within the United States. And Doug will refer to that later on. And we're talking about Pope Francis is concluding an audience with and participating in meeting the indigenous peoples in a church, walking toward healing and reconciliation. So we're going to hear that other side of the story that Doug George, a journalist, really brought forward. And so we catch Doug at a cafe. In early April 2022, speaking to First Nations Mati and 
in U.S. citizens on April 1st. Within the Vatican, Pope Francis said that he feels sorrow and shame for the role that a number of Catholic, particularly those with educational responsibilities, have had in all these things that wounded you, speaking to Native people, in the in the abuses you suffered and the lack of respect shown for your identity, your culture, and even your spiritual values. And he's promised to soon visit Indigenous peoples in Canada. We're speaking with Doug George Ganatillo of the Akwesasne Mohawk, who is a residential school survivor. And he serves as a vice president of the Hiawatha Institute for Indigenous Knowledge. He previously served as a trustee for the National Museum of the American Indian as a former land claims negotiator for the Mohawk Nation and is the author of numerous books and articles about the Mohawk people. Well, Doug, the reason why I wanted to talk to you because there is a word for apology and most people don't know this word and a definition or even the context of it, but yet yeah. we still as Native people fall for it, so to speak. And there was a reason why Six Nations Haudenosaunee were not invited to Rome to meet the Pope and secure an apology for the victims of the residential schools. And I'm quoting you from this article. We don't want an apology. We want justice. Would you carry it on from there? Yes. What has happened over the past, since Canada initiated a truth and reconciliation process in 2008, the Catholic Church in particular has been very evasive about accepting its lawful responsibilities for the abuse suffered by the children and that it has tried to obscure and hide the records involving those children as a way of avoiding uh, what we think is uh, criminal uh, prosecution. And what we wanted to hear from the Pope was not an apology drafted by his attorneys but an acknowledgement that serious crimes were committed and that literally thousands of Native children were permanently harmed or even killed inside these residential schools, and that the church has up to this point not offered any compensation, uh, nor has it committed itself to work with the various law enforcement agencies in order to uh, arrive at some kind of... uh, Justice. To us, justice means those who committed these crimes must be held accountable. They have to be required under law to work with us to uh, locate the burial sites. They must release the records so that we can finally have some kind of summation as to how many children we're talking about. And as an institution, the church has to uh, acknowledge again uh, with subsequent criminal prosecution that it failed in its duties to care for those children. What we fear is that the uh, apology would would suffice for many Native communities, and apparently it has, and it would actually lead to to, uh, some kind of an annulment of the crimes committed by the Pope. That's how we think that they're going to uh, look at this, that it does give them uh, the forgiveness part, does release them from uh, legal liability. And uh, we, as as, uh, Haudenosaunee, Iroquois, Mohawk people, are adamantly opposed to that. Uh, We've initiated some very aggressive 
actions to locate the burial sites at one of the resident of the one of the 130 uh, residential schools and this one the Mohawk Institute where I went and what we're doing is something truly unique in that we're blending contemporary uh, uh, forensic science uh, with uh, traditional values. Um, um, some of these methods are being used in Ukraine in order to locate the uh, mass graves that the Russians are leaving behind when they uh, execute citizens. Uh, this technology was also used in the Balkans after the wars in the late 1990s. So we decided that we would employ that same uh, methods. We would use LADAR, we would use ground penetrating uh, radar, uh, we would use infrared uh, uh, visuals that come from um, drones that fly over the residential school. We've learned a lot about the chemical reaction in the soil that comes from human uh, decom uh, decomposition and that how that changes the texture of the soil and that certain cameras can pick up on that. That's how we're examining the 600 acres currently uh, that, it, uh, that is a crime scene at the Mohawk Institute in Brantford, Ontario. And what we're hoping is that the Native nations across the country will come to us, learn how to do this investigative process, beginning with declaring the sites as crime scenes and then using anthropologists, archaeologists, forensic scientists and police officers to bring the children to surface and then begin what looks to be a very long, difficult uh, process of identifying those children with specific communities. We just found out that Mohawk Institute had children confined there from 38 different native communities. And once we find the mass burial grounds, we're going to have to determine where those children came from, which means, of course, a, a, an aggressive DNA project in which families on our communities that are possessing, there's 16,000 of us, will be asked to give blood samples so we could match them with the human remains. That's going to be very, uh, probably the most tragic uh, episode in our recent history when we bring the children back and when we identify them. Uh, but that's not enough for us. Someone has to be answered for what they did in Canada's most terrible um, part of its history. And it was criminal action. I know that from my own personal experience, that the um, application of physical punishment and uh, deprivation of food are crimes. The uh, sexual assault on, on children who have no means of defense is a crime. And this can't be simply brushed aside by an apology. The Prime Minister Stephen Harper, former of Canada, um, issued an apology in 2008, but he followed that up with action by creating Truth and Reconciliation Committee that allocated a lot of resources to investigate uh, this uh, tragic era. And, but Pope hasn't done the same thing. He hasn't committed anything. He hasn't committed his resources hasn't worked with us to identify the guilty parties, nor has the church offered any kind of uh, compensation to the victims. The sexual, the priests who did uh, sexual exploitation of children uh, who are not Native qualified for considerable uh, financial uh, uh, settlements. Uh, today, 
none of the uh, Mohawk uh, or native or indigenous children who went to these places have gotten anything from the church. When they created this delegation to go meet with the Pope on April 1st, um, no one bothered to call us. I found out that this was happening purely by chance, as did the rest of our Six Nations people. Now, why weren't we invited? Because we're not quite as uh, uh, passive. We would have stood up, we would have been polite, but we would have been firm in our statement to the Pope. What happened uh, to us it, uh, was nothing short of criminal. And an apology is not enough. We need uh, something more substantial than that. Uh, because since that time, I've listened to many people, Mohawk people, and not one has been unaffected by the residential school uh, trauma. And I can go across the Confederacy from Seneca to Cayuga, Maida, Onondaga, Tuscarora, and we're going to find the same thing, that short of the uh, loss of our territory and the, uh, the massive epidemics that uh, almost wiped us out, that residential boarding school uh, experiences has had the most dramatic effect uh, on our people. And yet we haven't come to terms with this. It's very subtle in some instances. In other ways, it's, it's very obvious from our mannerisms and uh, our physical being, what the confinement did to us. But as a collective, we haven't, um, we haven't reconciled uh, with those who are gone. In Akuzesni, a uh, rough estimate was that we were losing upwards of 100 children a year to both the schools and to the uh, foster care system over uh, just a 20-year span from 1966 to 86. Now, we take that back to the founding of the Mohawk Institute in 1839. We can see that literally thousands of the Zaslona children were gone. And as I said to our leadership a couple of days ago, we don't know. We have not the slightest clue how many children we're talking about because we don't, up to this point, have access to, to the records. We rely on oral traditions, and that is extremely difficult for people to talk about. They might have been uh, 70 years removed from, from the schools, but when they begin to refer to them, it's like they're reverting back to, to children. And you can hear the fear in their voices as they recount uh, uh, some of the things that were, were imposed upon them. And, you know, we know this was part of an overall process to divorce uh, Native people from, from the land. And that was the ultimate goal, to extinguish natives as viable, distinct uh, peoples. Almost succeeded. And uh, so what we're also asking for is territorial compensation uh, for lands that were lost. In many cases, there's an urgent need for, for relocation of some communities that have been heavily uh, contaminated by pollutants. But that, should, that has to be part of the overall discussion, not just financial compensation to individuals, but to communities as a whole. And they haven't uh, talked about that yet. And uh, I gave a, a speech at Parliament Hill in which I said, age is no defense. That if someone is living and they're capable of standing before a court of law uh, for their crimes or alleged crimes, 
we want them prosecuted. But we can't do that until we have the physical evidence, which means that there's a heavy emphasis on them, on identifying the graves and then bring the children up to surface and the reliance on, 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 on uh, forensic scientists to help us determine the cause of death. Now, why would somebody take children and put them in mass graves and then cover that up with, with layers of uh, gravel and turns to hide the evidence, obviously. But we can use uh, the science now to uncover those graves. And you can imagine how, how emotional our, our Mohawk and Iroquois people will be when that first grave, that first child is brought back to the surface. That's that's uh, we're close to realizing that now. Doug, you mentioned something about um, how was it saying nothing for us without us. When I think about the apology, the etymology of apology, it's really come yeah. out to be the non-apology apology. The definition of it, most people think that that's all that's needed. There's no outright admission of this so-called wrongdoing. But when, when you think yeah. about an apology, the legal definition is, I think you alluded to it, that it's legally over with once they apologize that they don't have to take responsibility. Part of the Catholic tradition, uh, uh, you get absolution for certain uh, sins that you may have or even uh, could conceivably commit. Absolution has always been a big part of the church. They used to call it indulgences in which you would pay money and you'd be uh, your crimes would be forgiven and you'd be able to enter into uh, into their definition of heaven. And uh, absolution they granted to uh, crusaders, knights, and the other people who went to the Middle East to to uh, initiate war against the um, Muslims and uh, Arabs and other peoples. Uh, Absolution, they would grant you that even before you left so that any crime you committed, no matter how terrible, was forgiven. And if it was forgiven under the uh, canon laws of the church, then that absolved you of any legal responsibility. A person could not come to you and charge you with a crime or seek compensation. So when they, the Pope issued that apology and those people accepted that, in his interpretation, in his lawyers, that's... Uh, that's uh, as closest to absolution as you can get. And it wasn't qualified by the native people that went there. They went there not in the spirit of justice or righteousness or even anger. They went there in the, in the spirit of reconciliation. But how is it possible to reconcile without truth-telling, without giving those children a voice? without at least finding out the circumstances under how they died, and we're talking tens of thousands of children now, to simply tell the Pope, well, we're here, you're forgiven. Uh, he's going to, his lawyers are already working on a way that, uh, that'll save them um, billions of dollars in lawful compensation, and it'll also enable them to further obscure the records that we need to find out how many children we're talking about. Like I said before, as Mohawks, Kazakhstani is, you know, astride the border. It's the most comp complicated community in North America in this, in this case. Who are we speaking about? 
And uh, what voice are we trying to give to what child if we don't even know who that child is? Uh, just yesterday, my cousin told me um, her two, her three uncles were taken at force by the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, placed in a home, and then they weren't seen again in their community. They know one for sure died. Uh, he froze to death because he was running from the school in his bare feet. Now, what would cause a child, a 12-year-old boy, to run from a school knowing that he fate it was a a choice between staying there or, or most likely dying. He chose an uh, agonizing death because of what was taking place inside those schools. Now, his experiences was replicated hundreds of times across Canada. And once we examine uh, his remains, if we can locate them, it will show that uh, how he died, and then we can begin the criminal, criminal prosecution. But... We have to have the records. We have to have the records of the children and the priests and the nuns who, who are overseeing um, uh, the, the, those children. And then what we have to do is blend that with uh, oral stories uh, about which specific individual might have committed which crime. But that's becoming very uh, problematic because people are getting older. And dying. Every, every month we have another person died of possession who went to those schools. But uh, it, it just colors every instance of our contemporary life and the kids today, I mean, kids born in the 80s, 90s, and the turn of the century, don't know about this. They don't know why their grandparents act the way they did and do, and how that uh, affected their parents and their own individual lives. And uh, we kept it very and only the last couple of years has it finally begun to, to come to the surface, you know, in a symbolic way, but in a physical way. It's only now coming, coming um, being on Earth. It's very interesting, Doug, because to yeah. me it reminds me of, oh, we, it's almost like treaty signing. There's yeah. a treaty signing going on, and, and yet the treaties won't be followed because at any time whoever proposed a treaty can be abolished. I'm sorry, therefore, I'm sorry, and it's over with. How, how do I say it? The, the, you said coloring of it. So we're, yeah. we're filling in the colors to meet an approval of a pontiff that is from a foreign land, yet yes. we, we have not really progressed. Our, our conditions have not improved accordingly. Sure. You know, what would happen if, if the colonization did did not come here to, to the Western Hemisphere. Yeah. So, so the warning is to the rest of North America, including Native people in the United States, yeah. look at the apology. And I think that's yeah. what you've been saying. There's simple language behind it. Simple meaning, yeah. I think, we're glossing over. Yes, yes, we are. And we are doing things very aggressively. And what we want to do is meet with Deb Holland, Secretary of Interior and the uh, head of the BIA, and we want to meet with them. We want to have a continental approach to this. And we want to show them what we've done to this point so that people who are investigating uh, the 450 schools in the U.S. can learn from us so they don't have to replicate everything. They can say, this is how you do it in a, <clears throat> a reasonable, logical, scientific, hyphenated, spiritual manner. Um, so we're setting the standards uh, for doing this. 
And the first thing you have to do is declare each one of those 450 schools in the U.S. crime scenes. When you do that, it gives a certain level of protection. And it's an acknowledgement that a crime did take place. It wasn't simple or benign neglect, uh, but it was active uh, <clears throat> and, 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 and brutal in that uh, the idea is somebody has to um, accept legal liability for, for what happened to, to, uh, to those children. And the one thing we're doing here uh, with, with you and me and all the other people uh, is we're committing ourselves to justice for those children. And if we're going to do this, and we're going to promise those children we will do our best to bring them home. We better do this. Otherwise, there'll be another wave of, of uh, disorientation, hostility, confusion, and internal uh, chaos taking place among our communities. And the reason we have that, alcoholism and diabetes and all these other factors, is because there's a spiritual side to that. Those kids are crying out for us. They're trying to make their voices heard. They're telling us, you know, come to us, find us, bring us home. And uh, <clears throat> that's our duty. And, and uh, I'm just afraid that if we don't do it in the right way, that uh, there'll be decades more um, social trauma experienced by our, our indigenous people. And yes, we need the, the doctrines of discovery revolt and the Incomedia system that is the basis for reservations. That needs to be addressed. But first, let's start off with a an issuing of a really uh, regret um, and the regret an acknowledgement of legal liability. Let's start with that, and then we can move from there. That's great. Doug, George, thank you for, for being here. It's such an honor to get your thoughts, uh, and people need to hear yeah. this, because I think yeah. we, we often are colonized so much yeah. that we just accept whatever's next in line. We're exactly. queuing up for benefits. Yeah. So, But I want to thank you for being yeah. here, Doug, okay? Thank you, and the good news on the positive side is my, my wife, Joanne Shenandoah, everybody knows that she, she went into her journey in November, but they, they're going to honor her by uh, putting her into the uh, uh, Native American Hall of Fame this November in uh, Oklahoma, and she's going to join our great friends, our personal friends, like uh, Uma Mankiller and, and, and Vine Deloria, so many other great leaders, and Joanne will be there with them. Oh, that is great news. We'll have to talk it about is. that soon. All right. Yeah. Thank you, Doug. You take okay. care of yourself. See ya. Peace. Grateful for the teachings spoken by my elders. Let me see the wisdom through this eagle feather. We all sit in the circle, so let us come together. Truth rings out Spiritless forever Wallalin 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 Yeah for my hometown, my people, my family, friends who gotta do it, yo, I do it to protect you. My kid, my grandparents, friends with the baby school. Son asked me, go stop it, I'ma try people. Do my best and he don't know. Yeah, got my shot and I'm dead glowing. Yeah, can see the bright light at the end of the tunnel. Future looking bright, we can get back to normal.
And welcome back to First Voices Radio. My name is Teokas and Ghost Horse. That was Walaylan with Thank You. And it's a single release of 2021. W-E-L-A meaning thank you. From Morgan Tony, Emma Stevens, and Shift from the 902. It's from the single Walaylan, W-E-L-A hyphen L-I-N, meaning thank you. Our next guest is C.C. Hovey who is the Communications Manager for Stronghearts Native Helpline. And CC is an Anishinaabe Ojibwe from the Sault Ste. Marie tribe of Chippewa Indians. In 2002, she began working in the domestic violence prevention field at the Advocacy Resource Center. And for more information, visit strongheartshelpline.org. First of all, welcome you to First Voices Radio, CC Hovey. What I'd like to know is something I'm finding more prevalent among Native peoples, not just in the United States, but throughout the world, is the more we seem to be adopting the other values other than our own Indigenous traditional values, it seems that this word elder abuse is rising up. It's like we're talking about children. They were children once. And, and are we treating the children the same way as the elders? Or maybe maybe that's a, a distant thought process, but Elder abuse. I really don't know how to talk about this. A shock to me that, wow, we are into elder abuse now as Native people? Yeah. So I'm so grateful to um, have you hosting me on your show. It's been a long time coming. So I'm really honored to be here with you today and share information about elder abuse and um, intimate partner violence among um, elders and information about Strong Hearts Native Helpline and what we can do and how we fit into that space. So, um, yeah, I guess... What I would say in response to um, your question about elder abuse and, and kind of how how we got to where we are, right, is um, it all goes back to colonization and the disruption of our kinship systems and our communities and the way we um, traditionally had looked out for each other and taken care of each other. And so that has been disrupted for the last 500 years And this is where we are today with um, a lot of people experiencing domestic and sexual violence and elder abuse, um, as well as child abuse. I mean, there's a lot, there's a lot that has happened um, to our people since um, colonization began. Um, So that's what I would, you know, kind of point us back to is that original disruption. When it comes to original disruption, it it seems that there's another tie and we probably thought this before, that our ties to our local land, you know, the territories we were, take somebody out of that, that's a shock. I don't know if we are over that yet, but I think it it gives uh, parlay uh, to the Western values of maybe individualism and less of a community. Yeah, and yeah, our sacred land was lost and our ancestors were um, subjugated to horrific abuse, murder, suffering, and all of that. Um, Residential schools were a way to break, you know, Native children away from their families. Again, disrupting those kinship systems with the loss of culture and language and the ties to the land. Um, And we're just coming to um, some sort of... um, 
I guess recon- re- recognition that that was very, very harmful um, to our people. And with strong hearts, you you've been working quite a while since two thousand and two or so. That's a long time to just finally getting getting the word out. I'm sure it had to take a while to to culture itself so that people could hear this on radio station as well as you know in the national spotlight. What is important? elders what why are they so important among native people as compared to getting old and being put into uh old age uh old age home retirement homes what is the difference there yeah so i can only um i'm gonna speak from my own personal experience um with my grandparents and my culture um because i can't speak for all native people and i I don't like to do that um because different tribes have different value systems um so you know from my perspective my culture um we value elders as um knowledge holders and they pass they pass their knowledge and wisdom on through their storytelling and um without that piece, we begin to lose our culture and our language and further the um, uh, further the progress of colonization um, when those um, when we lose our ties to our elders. Sorry, that was yeah. a inelegant way of putting that. <laughs> no, that was a good way. I mean, the words further the progress. How do we see that? I mean, how do we see it meted out amongst our behavior, sort of this uh, lateral damage or, you know, the relationships? And we don't see that. We just keep carrying the furthering the progress. Yeah. Well, you know, within my, um, again, speaking from my experience, within my tribe, we have a lot of um, programs and uh like cultural preservation and we have a native library and we have a lot of ways within my tribe to um, retain that knowledge from elders. Um, But not all tribes have those resources. Right. And so that's very, that's very challenging and very difficult. It is. And I'm thinking from a Western mind, I really don't know much about Native people in general, but to hear through, and I'm going to say this through romanticized eyes, Natives aren't supposed to be doing this to each other. Isn't that true? Or am I just making it up, up because they have their, their, their alcoholism is ravaging them, their addiction, their, their diabetes. And yet we step away because all, all I want to do as a Westerner is give money to, to the problem and then look away. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, again, looking um, from a higher up, I guess, level of that, like, where does the alcoholism and abuse and substance abuse, where does all of that stem from, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And again, yeah. we point back to original colonization and the systems and policies that are currently in place that are not as, um, how do I say this, not as obvious or apparent as a policy of like colonization. Mm-hmm. And so those, those 
systems and things like that are still in place even today in 2022 um, that continue to um, have oppressive effects. When does one become an elder in Native communities? Right. And I think it's it's different for each community. And it's different because um, of the tribal cultural values. It's also different um, because of um, benefits systems that tribes have set up and um, the government has set up. Right. So, you know, I would like, again, speaking from my experience and and just in general, an elder is typically between, you know, when we start using that term, it's typically between 60 to 65. Um, Mm -hmm. And then, you know, kind of up from there. Is it because of a youth oriented society? We are more about the youth, not not native people. I'm saying there's there's it. Traditionally, it was all across the board that we were all equal, but then we got to a youth-oriented society such as the West is, and then the individualism of it. And watching this, these types of abuse, I think my question is, what are the types of abuses and, and what are the signs that are leading up to these abuses? Yeah, so specifically for like elder abuse, um, obviously there's um, signs of physical abuse. So that's, uh, you know, bodily harm, uh, holding someone down, pushing or slapping them, pinching them. Um, Like there's emotional abuse that's, you know, saying hurtful things, yelling, threatening, um, that type of thing, Um, neglect for elders. I mean, they're, they're already um, fairly isolated in modern society. Um, they may not have caregivers or children nearby anymore. Um, and so isolation is a huge, um, is a huge issue as well. Um, abandonment. Um, so leaving some, like an older adult who needs help, um, leaving them alone without planning for their care. Um, and then financial abuse, which we see and hear about, I'm sure, a lot. Um, I know I have. Um, that happens when um, money or belongings are stolen or hidden or controlled um, without their consent. And a lot of this is familiar to me. Mm-hmm. Very familiar that, you know, you went through the list of physical, emotional neglect, the isolation, the uh the, the sort of diminishing of, well, you're not good with this, so you can push a broom, you know, this type of thing. So we're not, we're not proud of who we are. We have to meet a certain value system in order to feel like we're worth anything. Um, but I, I know that one of the secrets or one of the strongholds of who we are as Native people is to stay together. And there's a certain shame that we're not going to tell the whole story because this is how we stay together in terrible times but now the times have changed. Yeah. And you think about, you know, kind of why people stayed together in abusive, intimate partner relationships um, in, you know, my grandparents era. And that's because there wasn't a lot of resources out there for people in abusive situations. Um Thankfully, we've come a long way, and there are a lot more resources now to help elders in abusive situations um, and people in intimate um, partner violence situations as well. And 
Um, that's what Strong Hearts does. You know, we we help people that are in um, domestic dating and sexual violence um, relationships, and we can help them find resources. We help them with peer to peer support. Um, we we listen to them and help them with their needs and meet them where they're at. Yeah, I, I come from that era, my mother era, uh, and they. It's it's hard for us to ask of ourselves for ourselves, and it's kind of like a, we're humble. We're used to do, having not much of anything to get through, and I, I still experience that. Is is that one thing that's not seen by the public in general? That maybe Native people really are different from that more traditional sense. We have, um, as Native people, we have a different set of values. We. Um, have experienced historical trauma. Um, the things that we have experienced within our own lifetimes and um, our ancestors have experienced is very unique to our people, um, which you know makes our current modern day situation very unique, mm-hmm. unique as well. Um, you know, cross jurisdictional issues. If you're trying to report a crime. I mean, that's very specifically unique to Native people, and it is uh, can be discouraging and a barrier for people um, if they want help or want to reach out. Um, there are unique situations that many other um, people don't have to face. Can we encourage old people to reach out, as you say? Can Is there a way that makes them feel comfortable enough to reach out? Does it have to come to a, a dire situation when there's no other choice? A lot of it, um, just going back to what I had said previously, is mm. they may not know that there's resources out there, right? Like they grew up and they just had to, uh, you know, stiff up upper lip, you know, through their lives Mm -hmm. because there wasn't help. And um, so maybe they've never looked for resources, you know, because even 20 years ago, what was available 30, 40 years ago. And the last time they tried to reach out for help, you know, 40 years ago, there was nothing. And, And I think just, you know, the awesome thing about you and I having this conversation is it's going to reach people who need us. They're going to realize they're not alone, that there is help available and that they can have, they can have access to that now. And so, you know, that's really important. And I really appreciate just, you know, being in the space with you and having this conversation. I travel a lot and I go into communities and someone would tell me, Oh, there's an, there's a native person who lives all out there and well so isolated so alone and so we have to reach out to those people so that's what i'm thinking about because i live in an area where there's not many native people it's not like a reservation or a community these are the ones that i would like to reach out because it's harder for them i'm wondering how do we do that how do we reach out to you in in in, in strong hearts and like this is accessible more than than we know so um, so Stronghearts Native Helpline is a 24-7 domestic dating and sexual violence helpline uh, specifically for Native Americans and Alaska Natives. And we are um, available 24-7, 365. You can call us, text us, or chat on, online. Um, I have a friend who's 107 years old, and she has an iPad, and she can get on there. And so... 
you know, you can you can reach us multiple ways. Um, so even online, you can reach us. Um, mm-hmm. So you can call and text this phone number, and I'm going to say it slow twice um, for okay. people who are uh, might need it and want to write it down. So it's call and text at one eight four four seven native or one eight four four seven six two eight four eight three. And our website where you can chat online is strongheartshelpline.org. Can anybody else non-native call in for native people if they think they suspect anything? Yes. Yep. They can. We help anyone who calls us. Um, We don't turn away anyone. So if you know of somebody who is in an abusive relationship and want some resources and some help to talk about how you can help them, um, we would love to have you contact us. That's so great. Thank you so much for the CC Hobie. And it's helpful to know that there is these places that you can actually get help, call, and maybe walk us through the signs or even, you know, what's coming or what has happened and justice be served. Right, right. Thank yeah. you. Thank you so much. And I, I, I have to call my elder, my mother, because I forgot to call her on Mother's Day. She was oh. so busy. She was so busy that <laughs> yeah. there was no no space to call. And I think it's like a few days after or whatever. So I'm going to call her. Yeah, uh, yeah, I used to have to call and leave messages because my mom was always out running around too. So yeah, so yeah, yeah it's great. <laughs> Okay, thank you, Cece. Thank you. Have a good day.
that was an old classic by Phil Collins from the album Face Value. Just another day in paradise. Something to think about. And now this for our surrounding community. Kingston Stockade FC is playing a home game Saturday, May 28th against the Cedar Stars. The Kingston Stockade FC is our local semi-pro bin soccer team playing in the National Premier Soccer League. All home games are played at Deet Stadium with tickets costing $10 and $5 for kids. Kingston Stockade FC versus the Cedar Stars, Saturday, May 28th at 6 p.m. at Deet Stadium. And you can also watch all Stockade FC home games live and in Espanol on Radio Kingston's Facebook page. English streaming is on MPSL website. For tickets and info, visit StockadeFC.com. So that the people may live, this is why I do this. And First Voices Radio for the last unimaginable three decades. And all it has shown me is the highest form of intelligence, appreciation. So thank you for listening. And if you want to hear First Voices Radio, let the people know at your local community radio station and tell them Tioks and Ghost Horse sends you. And if you want to support First Voices Radio, visit patreon.com slash ghosthorse. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash Ghost Horse. Yes, 
Thank <laughs> you.